I wonder if you'll just think back to the worst job you maybe have ever had, the worst job that you've ever had. I've had several different jobs uh, growing up, just uh, paying my way through school and different things. Uh, None of them, I could say, were too terrible. I've always seemed to find myself in some sort of janitorial work, whether it was cleaning a church. I cleaned a church a little bit. I cleaned some schools and different things. Uh, So that was never too much fun. You know, cleaning toilets is only so much fun. Uh, But I I did do that. And one one of the jobs that I did, I cleaned at a school, and they had a wood shop. And sometimes I had to clean uh, the wood shop after they had done all their uh, stuff and made all their things in there. And that was, that was never fun because there was always more sawdust to be seen and to be found. You, you could never vacuum up enough sawdust. You could, yeah, I could have spent my whole night there cleaning up the sawdust. Uh, but I, I, I usually was trying to get out of there, uh, not, cl- not vacuum up sawdust. Uh, another, as I was thinking about this, another job that I know, it was just a side thing that I was doing for somebody. There was a house, a, a historical house that had burned down. And the structure, the outward structure was still good, so they were trying to restore it, but the inside was all burnt up and it was ashes. And we had to put on these suits and go in there and, and just dig up this, these ashes and put them in these bags. And I came out of there. It was a white suit going in and it was a black suit coming out uh, with all the ashes and things that it had. That was a miserable job. Uh, I had the opportunity to be a, a mailman for the, the postal service. That was an interesting job. It was a good job. Uh, but uh, it was up in Wisconsin, so during the winters was, was tough. <laughs> Walking from house to house through two feet of snow was a challenge sometimes. Uh, and also, I've, I've been a school bus driver, so I've kind of done it all. Uh, I, I drove a school bus for a little while, and that, that was quite an experience, especially since I'm uh, uh, not that old and they're, they're used to much older uh, bus drivers. Some of them thought I was students going to school with them. They were like, what are you, what are you doing driving the school bus? Uh, but that had its days as well. Kids are not always as well behaved on the school bus as they should be. And so that had its moments as well. But, but nothing too terrible. And I'm sure some of you have had much worse jobs than that. Uh, but when we think of work, we, we recognize, I think we all appreciate work, the ability that we have to work, and the ability it, it gives us to make an income, to provide for our families. We appreciate that. But at the same time, we also understand the dread of work. It's, we kind of see it as this necessary evil. We understand the frustrations that come with work, whether that be because we're in a job that we don't necessarily uh, like that much, it's not our ideal job, or whether we just experience the frustrations of work, whether it be uh, difficult employees or frustrations with uh, uh, bosses or whatever it may be, we, work, is, work is not always enjoyable, and sometimes we just see it as that necessary evil, something that we have to do to pay the bills and just and get by. Well, I think our passage this morning provides us with a challenge to do that, and, and it provides us with an opportunity to see our work as, as something that is significant. And that's because it, it teaches us that Christ is, is our master. And because Christ is our master, our work is done in worship to him. And so whatever work we do, whatever we find ourselves to do, it, it is to be done in worship to the Lord. And so it provides value to our work, and we want to be challenged with that this morning. But if, if you were following along with our passage and you were looking at our passage, it starts by addressing slaves. It says bondservants, which can be translated slaves, and some versions of, of, the, of your Bible will actually translate it slaves. And so you might think, well, well slaves and masters, how, does this, how did you apply that to our work just right off the bat? Because when we think of slaves, when we think of this idea of slaves, we don't get a pretty picture in our mind. We think of the experience that we experience in our own country uh, uh, of slavery. And it was a, a terrible experience. It was a very evil time. 
where people were being dehumanized and treated as animals because of their race. And we don't, we don't see slavery as a good thing, and it certainly wasn't a good thing, and it's certainly not something that Scripture in any way promotes or approves of. And so why is, what, what's going on here as Paul addresses this idea of slaveries, and, and why does he seem to be so uh, just, you know, ser- slaves are to obey their masters, they're to serve their masters. What's going on here? And so I think it, it, it's important for us to, to get a, a better understanding of this idea of slavery and as we study, if you, if you do any studying of slavery, you see that slavery during this time, first century A.D. here, was very prevalent in society. It made up upwards of, of one-third of society. So up to, it could have been up to 60 million people that were slaves. Some have said that it, there, was, there were, may have even been more slaves than freedmen during this time. And so it was a, a very real thing to them. And so when Paul addresses this idea of slaves and masters, they knew what he was talking about. And many of them probably were slaves and, and some even masters. Early, early on in history, early on, slavery was a result of warfare, time of war terror. So, so countries would come, they would, they would take over a nation, and then they would, instead of killing all those people, they would t- capture them, they would take them as prisoners of war, and then they would make them sl- their slaves. They would make them do the work that they didn't want to do. And so somebody like a Roman Empire would come, take over these nations, take all these, these people, capture them, and then put them to work in their fields or whatever task they may have wanted them to do or, or sell them so that others could use them as tax. But, but much of the majority of, the, during New Testament times, this idea of slavery had changed a lot. It had, been, it had begun to take on a new form. Slaves, there was certain laws that were being brought up about slavery and how to treat slaves, and they had been given more and more rights. Some of them were even able to own property, own their own slaves. And so it was kind of taking on a new form. And as it progressed, slaves even became somewhat indistinguishable between other societies. They looked and acted just like everybody else. You didn't know that they were slaves. They, they were a part of society just like anybody else, except for that they were owned. They were property of somebody else. But, and, and oftentimes it was the wealthy that owned slaves. They, they had enough money in order to own these slaves. And usually those slaves just, they did whatever the, their owners did. And they, they took on the majority of the tasks that their owners did. They took on the work for, for them in doing that. And they were known uh, as the, those occupations, doing those occupations. And some government, official, government they owned uh, slaves, and they would use these slaves as, as to carry out the civil activities of, of the area, whether that was uh, medicine, education, some even policing. And so the, it was, just, it was, a, it was a, a source of employment for them. And freedom, to find freedom in slavery could happen any, at any time. And, and many f- slaves were actually released or, or granted their freedom by the age of 30. Or they could even purchase their own freedom if they were able to work up enough money and, and, and do that. How, could, how, how did people become slaves during this time? There were several different uh, ways that they could do that. You could be born into slavery. If your parents were slaves and you were born to your parents, then you became a part of that. Uh, The widespread practice of exposing unwanted children who were then available for the use of anyone who cared to rear them. So if you didn't want your children, if if your children weren't valued, this was a way that, that people could take them and raise them and they would use them then. 
There was sometimes the sale of one's own children into slavery, uh, voluntary slavery. Some people sold themselves into slavery for, to pay a debt that they, if they were indebted to somebody, they would just uh, be, become their slave for them to pay for that debt. Or some, some even looked, it was just a, it was a, a search of a better life. Being a slave was better than the other option. But it, it, was, it was usually not based around race. And so just some, some things to help us begin to understand this idea of slavery. And so what are some things that we can take from this? One, I think we, we should recognize that slavery that, that is going on here during this time period is very different than what we think of when we think of slavery, the slavery that happened in, in America. And it was, it was a way of life for them, and it was accepted, and, and a lot of them saw it as, as a beneficial part of society. It benefited them. But that being said, although it is different, it was still slavery. And it was still based on the premise of, of people owning other people, which is wrong, which is contrary to what Scripture teaches. We understand that Scripture in no way promotes slavery in any way, shape, or form. The idea that, that a human owns another human is not scriptural. Scripture teaches that man is created in the image of God and is valuable. They're not to be seen as property or lesser. Man is created equal in the eyes of God. And so scripture certainly does not promote or, or teach that slavery is okay in any way, shape, or form. Even though this is a, a maybe a minimal, we could say, way of, of looking at slavery. And also it's important to know that Paul here is, Paul is not supporting slavery. Even though he seems to have this attitude of slaves are just to serve their masters and it could be seen as he's just not addressing the issue at all, Paul is not supporting. And, and the, the, the principles and the truths that Paul preach, or teaches in Scripture go directly against this idea of slavery as well. So Paul is, Paul is not promoting it or, or, or condoning it in any way, but he is He's, he's taking time, his main purpose, his main goal in writing this passage is not to address the issue of slavery. Yes, it's an element of it, but it's because it was a part of the people that he was, he was speaking to and talking to. And so his primary goal in writing this was to address these household relationships and responsibilities that these individuals had in relationship to Christ and living out their lives and what it looked like to be a Christ-like Christian in their culture. And that is what he was dealing with. And he, he wasn't taking time to write a document on the, of, of how to abolish slavery. He wasn't, that's not his goal. That wasn't his goal in this passage. And so it's important to recognize that. In no way is Paul condoning slavery, but at the same time, he's, 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 he's taking a, a different angle. He's addressing something that he sees as more significant. He's placing priority in a different area, and that is being Christ-like. And so, as we understand this idea of slavery, I think it, it is significant enough for it is, it is helpful for us to begin to, to grasp what is going on in this, in this text. But as we, we, we get back to this text and, and understanding and applying this text to our lives, it's important that we, we understand the context of this passage, that we not forget what we've been studying before, specifically I think this is a continuation. Paul is continuing what he was talking about in earlier in chapter 5, specifically in verses 15 through 21. If you want to flip over, we'll look back at that real quickly. He says, Look carefully then how you walk, 
not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So what was Paul's exhortation? What is Paul getting at? What does he want believers to understand? He wants them to understand, if you call yourself a Christian, you're to walk worthy of that. And we, we talked about that in, in earlier in our study of this passage. What it looks like to walk worthy. What it looks like to walk wisely. What it looks like to do the will of the Lord in your life. And what it looks like to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And that is that is. Paul's exhortation to these people. And so then, very practically, following this exhortation, he goes through different relationships. He says, so what does this look like in a marriage relationship? Husbands, wives, how do you interact with each other? How do you walk worthy? How do you submit to one another? Then he addresses, in the beginning of chapter 6, the family relationship. Children, how do you serve your parents? What does it look like for children to obey your parents? Fathers, parents, bring up you're, bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. What, is, what does that look like in a family relationship? And then he continues on then in this passage, and he deals with slaves and masters, something that was very, they were a part of, that they would experience, another tier, you could say, of these relationships that they dealt with. And so Paul is addressing, how do you walk worthy? How do you live in this circumstance? How do you carry out being a Christian, living like a Christian in your culture? And that's what Paul's addressing here. And so as we, we get into this passage, it says, Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ. And so right off the bat, we see that, that how, how is this possible? How could slaves serve their masters? How could they have a good attitude? Well, it was because they, they, they needed to understand their relationship with Christ. Christ was now their master. And in 2 Corinthians, Paul actually talks about the idea that if you, you may have been a slave on earth, but if you have accepted Christ as your Savior, if you have a relationship with Christ, he has become your master, and you, you are a free man in the eyes of Christ, though you may be a, a slave on earth. Christ grants us freedom. And so these believers, if they understood this relationship that was Christ was their master, then they understood that everything done in their lives then was, were, was done in service to their, their, their king, their heavenly master, Christ, their real master, their greater master. And so because of that understanding, it was then that they could live rightly to their serving their masters or masters serving their slaves in that relationship. And so what are some of those attitudes? What does is, what is Paul what it tell us that this looks like? Well, well, first, along that point, that idea of Christ, before we even get into it, just, just notice the mention of Christ in every single one of these verses except for the last one. He says, Bondservants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ. Not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. Rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man. Knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord. Christ is central in this attitude, in this ability to serve 
their masters. So then what does this look like? He says, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling. There was to be an attitude of respect from these slaves. These slaves were to respect their masters. And you might be wondering, how, how did you get respect from fear and trembling? Because when we initially reading fear and trembling, it sounds like somebody's standing there shaking in their boots, scared to death of what's going to happen, or, or like they just saw a ghost or something. That's what fear and trembling sounds to us. And, and this word fear here is that idea of, of fear, but it's coupled with this word trembling. And this is a phrase that Paul used in his writings to express an attitude of respect and reverence, a, a humble respect and, and reverence and awe. And we see he uses it several other times in Scripture. In 2 Corinthians 2, chapter 2 and verse 3, he describes the way in which he came to the church at Corinth. In 2 Corinthians in chapter 7, in verse 15, he describes the church's reception of Titus. And then in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 12, we see that he encourages believers to work out their salvation with fear and trembling. And so this phrase is an attitude that he is conveying. How are, how are we to do this? It's an attitude, and it's an attitude of respect and reverence, of, of humble, understanding your position and offering respect despite that position. And so that's what that Paul was getting at here. Slaves were to respect. They were to show reverence to those who were in charge of them. Also, we see slaves were called to serve Christ by working for their masters with sincerity. He says, with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart. That one's a little easier to understand. We're familiar with that word sincere. It means genuine. What you see is what you get. You're not hiding anything. He follows it by this discussion of not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ doing the will of God from the heart. Not, not doing work when the boss is around and then when he leaves, going back to doing whatever you were doing slacking off. No, these slaves were to serve their masters with sincerity. They were to be the individuals that they, their, their, their masters thought they were. And also, he goes on and he describes an attitude of, of wholeheartedness. Not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man. So we see this idea of heart, and heart was, was the center of one's being. And so this, this meant serve them with everything that you have. Wholeheartedly is a word we could use. And do it with goodwill as to the Lord. That idea of goodwill is, is enjoying what you're doing, being happy about what you're doing, being passionate about it, doing with the best of your ability, taking pride in the task that you have been given. And so this is how Paul describes what it looks like for a slave to serve his master. It's an attitude, it's, it, it's an attitude of respect. It's an attitude of sincerity. It's an attitude of, of doing whatever it is wholeheartedly. And how, how was this possible? Because these believers understood that their master was Christ. And whatever they did for their earthly master, they were doing ultimately for their heavenly master, Christ. And they were serving him. They were worshiping him. Then he addresses masters here. He, he just takes one verse to address masters, but it's still significant. Verse 9, he says, Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. So what does it look like for masters? Well, he says, masters, do the same. Masters have the same 
attitude. Even though you are an earthly master, your slaves, you still ought to treat your slaves as you would Christ, as you would serve them as you, serve them as you would serve Christ. They were, they were to practice mutuality. They were to see their slaves not as inferiors, but as brothers and sisters in Christ. And that in itself destroys the whole idea of slavery. <laughs> it's not slavery if you see yourself as equal. <laughs> and so even we see Paul subtly attacking this idea of, of slavery and hitting on this idea of slavery. If you understand Christ as your master, then slavery doesn't work because you serve each other equally your brothers and sisters in Christ. So this was how masters were to, to treat them, the same way, recognizing that Christ was their master. Also, they were to, he, he says, stop your threatening. They were to, they were to stop this attitude of demeaning people or being manipulative or trying to control those individuals. They were not their property. As believers know, they were people made in the image of God, brothers and sisters in Christ. They weren't to have this attitude of, of controlling and de demeaning and manipulating. And also they were to acknowledge God was their master. He says, knowing that he, who's, who, he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is, that there is no partiality with him. Recognize that you may be an earthly master, but you have a heavenly master that is your master and is the ultimate master and judge. And he's the one that judges the works of individuals, not you. And they were to acknowledge that. And so we see here Paul addressing these issues. Slaves, how are, you how are you to treat your masters? Masters, how are you to treat your slaves as a Christian, as a believer? And he shares these attitudes. And certainly we can begin to kind of see in our own lives how this might apply. And same attitudes that we ought to have with those that we recognize as our earthly masters. But, but how do these truths, how do, how do they affect us? Where should they hit home? Where do we, can we directly apply these truths to our lives and say, that's what we need to do. That's how I ought to live. And, and where I think we draw this line, where we can make the connection is that we, we understand that Christ, if we are believers, if we are Christians, Christ is our master as well. And we too have earthly masters, but we have, if we have put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, Christ has become our masters. We have become servants of Christ. We serve a new and greater master. And because of that, everything that we do then becomes in, is, is done in service to him, is done in worship to the Lord. And it doesn't matter what we do, everything that we do, everybody that we relate, relate with, is an act of worship and service to Christ, our King, our Master. And so no action that we do or no relationship that we are involved in is unimportant. It's all important because it's all done in service to Christ, our King. You could put it this way, no relation is merely a relation. It is a context for relating to Christ. No job is merely work. It is a context for serving Christ. So what does this mean? How does this play out in our lives? What does this look like for us? Well, I think, first of all, it means that there will be a difference in the way that we work. Because if we understand is that Christ is our master, then the work that we do now has value. Because the work that we're doing is not insignificant. It's not just to pay the bills. No, it's an act of worship to the Lord. 
And that should be an encouraging truth to hear that whatever you do, because some of us may not have the ideal job or, or, or a prestigious job, but what we do, no matter if you're a doctor or if you're a, a waiter or a waitress waiting tables, your job has meaning. It's significant. And it can be done as worship to the Lord. Our work has value. It's done as worship to the Lord. There is no task that is unimportant. There is no job that is insignificant. No, it's all given value because it all can be done for the glory of God. And so with that in mind, understanding that, understanding that our work is valuable, is done in worship to the Lord, then we ought to do our very best at it. The Lord expects our very best, and we ought to do our very best in our work. We ought to be the best employee or employers that we can be. That's what God calls us to do. It is the will of God for us to to do our very best in our jobs. Seeking to present the best to him. Whether that be taking out the trash or taking care of the financials of some multi-million dollar business. Be the best at, at, at that job that you can be. And also, it provides an, an awesome opportunity to reflect Christ in your workplace. It's an opportunity to be a testimony for Christ in that workplace because our world, our sinful nature, we don't, we don't like we talked about earlier, we don't see work. We see work as that, that necessary evil. It's just mundane. It's monotonous. We don't always see it as worship. We don't always see it as important. But when we do, as Christians, when we recognize that I don't care what I'm doing, I'm going to do it to the best of my ability and be happy about it and be respectful when I do it, that, it, that shines as a bright light in a workplace because that is not the, the typical attitude of individuals in the workplace. It's, they're just getting by. They're just doing what they have to do to bring in the paycheck. But when they see somebody that is excited about what they're doing, even if it's just a, a, maybe a seemingly insignificant task, and they see you doing that with joy and happiness, it shines as a light that you have, you're serving somebody else. You're serving a greater master. And, it, it, and hopefully it'll lead to conversations where they'll say, why are you so happy doing that? Why, are you, why do you work so hard? And you can explain to them, because I, I serve Christ, and everything that I do, I want to do it to the best of my ability because it's done in worship to my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, the King of the universe. And I have the opportunity and the privilege to serve him and to serve him doing whatever I do. And what an awesome thing. So we ought to do what we do to the best of our ability and see it as valuable to the Lord, as worship to the Lord and as an opportunity to be a light in a world that doesn't, may not have that same motivation. But not only does it mean our work should change, the way we do our work should, should be different, it also means that our relationships should be different. The way we relate to people is different because now we understand Christ as our master and we understand we view people as Christ views people and that's with value. That's made in the image of God. And we no longer value people how the world or society or culture might value people. Well, well they're talented. They're, they're the rich and the famous. And they're, they're high on the, 
the list there. They're the ones that are the, the prestigious ones. Those other people, they're, they're down there. No, we no longer see people that way, even though that is our natural tendency. That's what we do in society. We, we, we compare ourselves with one another. We say, well, they're here and they're there because of what they do or how they act or whatever it may be. But no, God sees value in everybody. He sees them as people that, are, that could be or are worshipers of him. And so every relationship that we interact with, whether it be a boss or an employee, whatever it may be, we, those relationships are important. And we ought to take advantage of those relationships and see that person as, as valuable and not just slough off our time with them and say, I'm just, I just have to have this conversation with you. No, every conversation is a, can be an important conversation as we relate to them and, and recognize that this is a human being made in the image of God that has value. And God wants me to re- relate with them in this way. It means that no one is too good for us. It also means that nobody is too low for us. We shouldn't put somebody so low that we dehumanize them, but we shouldn't put somebody so high that we idolize them either. And so just because a doctor, we may see a doctor as, as having great responsibility and in a, in a, a, a great job, and, and certainly it is, certainly we're thankful for doctors, But in God's eyes, a doctor is no greater than the one serving tables at the restaurant. And we ought to see see our relationships that way. We don't have superiority or inferiority, excuse me, based upon what we do or the position that we hold. And so if Christ is our master, it, it brings significance to the relationships that we hold. Also, it, it helps us understand that we aren't, we aren't seeking the approval of people. We only have one person to impress. We only have one person that needs to approve of us, and that's Christ. And so often we do do that. We look for the approval of man. We want people to like us. We want to have lots of friends, and there's nothing wrong with that. But if that is what our ultimate goal is, we'll, we'll be left empty because people will leave us. And we may change, and they may not like it, and they'll go another way. But we don't need their approval. We don't need them to say we were successful. All we need to to say that we were successful is Christ. All we need is the approval of God. And it talks about that in that passage. Not by way of eye service as people pleasers, which we tend to be. Doing goodwill as to the Lord and not to man. So it affects our work, it should change, it should make a difference in the way we work, it should make a difference in the way we relate to people, but also it should make a difference in, in what we value. What is the only thing that matters according to this text? It's our relationship with Christ. Do you see Christ as your master? Do you have a relationship with Christ? That's all that matters. That's where our worth and value comes from our relationship with Christ. And that's all we need. That is enough. Our worth isn't about the tasks that we're doing or the income that we're bringing in. It's about how do we relate with Christ. 
Jesus said, what does it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? We could be the most prestigious person on earth, but die without Christ, and we've lost everything. Paul says in Philippians 1.21, to live is Christ, to die is gain. Paul understood. He got it. If I get to live on this earth longer, everything that I do is in worship to Christ, and I, I get to enjoy that. If I die, well, then I get to be with Christ, and I get to enjoy him and see him face to face for all of eternity without fear and pain and the, the, the bad side of work. To live as Christ, to die as gain, is that our attitude? If Christ is our master, we, we get that, we understand that. And so as we bring this full circle this morning, it's important to understand Christ is the ultimate master. But Christ, as the ultimate master, humbled himself and became an obedient servant. Philippians chapter 2 talks about that. Sitting on throne is in, in heaven as the king of the universe, but humbled himself and became a servant. He served you and he served me. Even though we were sinners, the Bible says. Even though we were enemies of God, he, he, saw, fit not, he saw his position not as something to hold, but he was willing to humble himself and give that up to serve us to die for sinners, to die a cruel death on a cross, to come to a world that, that did not see him as somebody important. He was born in a manger and died as a criminal. Why did he do that? He did that to serve us, to serve you and me. And although Christ was the ultimate master, he became the obedient servant for you and for me. And he didn't stay dead. He rose victorious over sin and death. And he's in heaven with his father. He was exalted again to his rightful throne in heaven. And it's because of that that we, he, he's granted us his Holy Spirit. He's given us the power that he conquered sin and death with. He's given it to us so that we can live as slaves or masters or employees, employers that see their life as service to Christ. We have been given power to do that. We don't have to live defeated lives. Under, we don't have to be lazy. We don't have to just do scrape by. No, we can do our best. We can have a good attitude. We can respect those that we maybe don't think deserve respect or don't respect us. Why? Because we understand that that's what Christ did for us. That was the ultimate motivation for us. He did that for us. The ultimate master became the obedient servant. And that's, what, that's why we can live this way. That's why we understand Christ as our master and why it should change everything that we do in life, every person that we relate with. Christ is the obedient servant, Christ is the best master, and Christ is the sovereign Lord. Let's be challenged with these truths this morning.